Welcome to the Teachers Podcast in association with Classroom Secrets, the podcast that's here to help teachers. Whether it's discussing the latest issues in education or sharing top tips for use in the classroom, if you work in education or want to know more about the sector, then this is the podcast for you. Now, please welcome your host, former teacher, life work balance advocate and successful business owner, Claire Riley. Hi everyone, welcome to series two, episode 11 of the Teachers Podcast. We've made it, 2021. And does it actually feel any different? Hopefully this is a year when we can have a bit more certainty and get back to going on holiday. We all need it. I want to wish you all a happy new year and I hope that this year brings you everything that you dream of for it. At the back of last year, I interviewed Lisa Lee Weston from Talking Heads about supervision. Now, you may be familiar with what supervision is and you may not, but we will get to the details during the interview, so I won't spoil it. But after talking to Lisa and comparing what she has to say with my own experiences of having coaches, mentors and engaging in personal development, I think that every educational professional would benefit from having supervisions or at least following the tips that Lisa shares if you don't have access to a supervisor. Hopefully that's not too cryptic and you're intrigued to know how you can lighten the load of responsibility that weighs down on you to move forward. If you haven't done so yet, subscribe or follow the Teachers Podcast on your preferred listening platform so you can keep up to date with new episode releases. I'm also on Twitter at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP. So I look forward to connecting with you on there. Let's get to my chat with Lisa. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me on the Teachers Podcast today. Morning. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be really good. We've already had quite a bit of a chat already and we decided we, we should stop that yeah. recording instead. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> there'll be no podcast at the end of it. Yeah. Um, so we've had this on the cards for quite a while, actually. Um, so I'm pleased to be able to be talking about it. So before we get into exactly what you're here to talk about, why don't you tell me everything about you that's relevant to what we want to know about? <laughs> you mean my time working for the Disney store, don't you? Um, yes, of course I do. I of love course, yeah. That. But obviously there are other, um, <laughs> other places available. Stores. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I guess as we were talking just now, that actually is part of it. So um, when I was uh, at school, all I ever wanted to do was to train to be an actor. Um, that's what I wanted to be. Um, I was reasonably good at it. And I went to drama school, went to the Oxford School of Drama. Um, I had a few moments there where I thought, actually, if this is, if this is the level of instability and vulnerability required on a daily basis this seems quite incompatible with my desire for a family and being quite settled which is who I am in one respect so um but anyway I kind of went through that and I did do that journey to London um and was uh unemployed for a couple of weeks which I couldn't stand uh so I got myself a job at uh I got myself a job at Warner Brothers, first of all, over Christmas on Regent Street. Um, I was absolutely rubbish. I had a queue from the till to the back of the store in Regent Street because I got so nervous about being on the till. So they swiftly moved me on to jumper folding, which I excelled at. I went on to earn awards when I moved down the road to the Disney store in jumper folding. I can line up the creases <laughs> of a Tigger and a Winnie the Pooh like you wouldn't believe. Um, and I still got my ticker pin. I found it the other day for customer service because I liked talking to the customers, um, which I guess is uh, you know, some thread <laughs> towards what I do now. Um, and the training at Disney was incredible. I can still remember what magic stands for. Do you know what that stands for? It used to be on the, on the stairs from the shop floor down to the uh, where you get change. Magic stands for, I'll probably get in trouble now. We'll probably get banned from releasing this because Disney will hear it. It stands for meet, assess, greet, interact and conclude. And that's what you have to do in every zone. And that was back in the 90s. Quite incredible training. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, Well, you know, it was interesting. (laughs) I had to get behind something. (laughs) um, And then in the evening I worked, uh, oh, it's one of the, until now it was the best job I ever had. I sold ice creams 
and programmes at the Lyric Theatre in the evening. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Um, are we still there? Sorry, it's just frozen, hasn't it? Tell me what you did again. Um, yeah, just say I sold. Um, I sold um, ice creams and programmes at the Lyric Theatre um, and I got to watch live theatre with other out-of-work actors, dancers and writers night after night. Lee Evans, Hobson's Choice play. I got to go out for drinks after work with Lee Evans. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant job. Um, however, as you and I talked about, um, I did think this is lovely, um, but this is not what I want to do forever and actually I'm working so hard 70 75 hours a week that I'm not able to go for any auditions because they weren't flexible jobs what am I going to do at the grand old age of 23 um so I thought that I probably would go to university and then train to be a drama teacher so off I toddled to Reading University and I did English film and drama as a combined degree, but without the performance element because I'd already done that and I was a bit of a snob uh, with regard to that. <laughs> um, and I loved that. Uh, but the best thing about it was in my first year getting a job in the holidays back in Oxford um, with the Parasol Project, second best job ever. Um, and the manager there was watching me work with a young person um, so it was about supporting children to access mainstream play schemes who are young people with a learning disability. And again, that's quite forward thinking. I think was, uh, everything was around inclusion. Um, and I learned while I was there the importance of actually supporting the child. But really, it was about supporting the mainstream play scheme that actually the system there didn't know how to welcome difference. And that was definitely my time there each holiday um, while I was doing my degree uh, informed pretty much everything that I do now so I had still thought I would go off and train to be a teacher and do a, a postgrad afterwards but the manager of the parasol project was a drama therapist and she was watching me work one-to-one -one, one day with a young person in a, in a mainstream place at him but he was non-verbal um, quite severely autistic and I was loving being with him I hadn't even noticed that we hadn't talked. Um, I was engaged in his kind of ritual and his play and I was alongside him and he was gradually skirting in around the edges to playing as well with some of the children and was working out how to facilitate and enable his connection with others. And I was, I was just loving it. I loved working with him. And my manager watched me and she said, oh, she said, you don't want to go and train to be a teacher. You want to be a drama therapist. I was like, oh, what? <laughs> what's a drama therapist um so i went home and i typed that into you know the new internet um and it popped up and i was like oh my god that is so what i want to do like every hair on my body stood up with excitement um so yeah i was never a teacher because i did realize in that moment that i would only be a teacher so that i could always follow the least included child out of class and support them and I, I, I remember thinking, well, how am I going to do that as a teacher? Because I actually do need to be in class. Um, so I picked the right job because um, that, that meant that I have been able to do that. But actually, although I worked with children and young people in Oxford, then after I'd qualified and done my postgrad in drama therapy, um, I worked with children and young people intensively as a young person's personal advisor at the beginning of Connections. A lot of hanging around on street corners and driving young people to school and working out how to um, help them re-engage with education, which was brilliant. Um, but then I actually moved to Devon um, to work with adults for 10 years. So I worked in the NHS um, for a trust down here um, in acute adult mental health but I was clinical lead for people with profound and multiple learning disabilities. Um, but again, was working with that service, the arts therapy service to try and move it towards being more inclusive. Um, as you could, that's, a, that's a running thread <laughs> um, around uh, inclusion. Um, and so while I was there, um, part of being a therapist is to go on and do a, a supervisor's training because I needed to supervise my multidisciplinary team. Um, so that was the begin. That was 15 years ago. That supervision training. So that was the beginning of and the seeds of 
what I do now. Um, don't know if you want me to carry on on that thread. Or... Let's let's go back. So tell me, tell us what drama therapy is. What is it? Yeah, um, drama therapy is a healthcare profession council registered um, profession. Uh, what I describe drama therapy as, which isn't perhaps what you get when you type it into Google even now, um, but the way it makes sense for me to, when I explain it to people, is that if you think of psychology or counselling, then it is that. You go because something inside of you is in distress. Um, but the language that is available to you isn't just talking. So the creative language, which we all have, and that absolutely includes people with a profound multiple learning disability because the beginning of drama um, is around our sensory play and how we arrive in the world. We are dramatic, dramatic beings. So the beginning of any language is, is all the mirroring that we do with our mum and in relationship. So when people get very freaked out about drama therapy, which they do and kind of go, oh, I can't act. I'm like, oh my God, in 20 years, I can, I can still pretty much recall the times that I've used role play. I don't use it very often. That's partly because of the people that I work with, um, because it's not accessible to them as a language of creativity. But there's an entire other world of projective plays, stories, music, movement, sounds, mirroring, connection, attunement, attachment that is available to us. And, and that really, if you unpick any therapeutic relationship, those are the key components. And talking aspect is only another what 30 percent maybe of what happens in a therapy room the rest anyway is a non-verbal kind of relationship um so that does that make sense that's for me that is what drama therapy is it's accessible to anyone in fact it's the most accessible form of working that there is if you yeah. meet the right person which is always the case in therapy anyway you've got to like your therapist <laughs> otherwise okay. there's not any point you got to make the connection, haven't you, and have that relationship. I feel like yeah, absolutely. in the conversation that we've had so far and possibly before the podcast, the word that you've mentioned the most is mirroring. So tell me why mirroring is so important. Um, it's absolutely the first thing that happens when a baby is born. The first thing that uh, mother and child do is to look at each other. And the first thing that they do is to start to, it's its so entirely natural that a lot of us don't realise we do it, but that, you know, the baby makes, makes a noise and the mum's eyes widen with delight. There, there will be, this is if it's a, you know, everybody's kind of happy and not had a terrible time. Um, then their eyes widen and the mum will mirror back the ah sound or the ee or whatever sound it is that the baby makes. And that's mirroring. And the baby is so rewarded by that um, that the mum does that they, they gradually go on to learn to do it again and again and it'll wave its arm and the mum will catch its thumb and then you've got you know that um touch attachment the mum will stroke and soothe the baby when it's crying so all of that is about achievement and, and mirroring um and it's absolutely vital to healthy development absolutely healthy which is one of the things that you know we might see as a result of the coronavirus that might be tricky as we go on because a lot of people are really struggling and the impact on babies around having reduced amount of touch with other caregivers in their lives and so on but anyway perhaps digressing there so you so you've mentioned so basically you've told me what mirroring is which is great um and you know as as, as very young children we're, we're naturally mirroring um so how does mirroring help then in therapy um, in therapy and supervision, that's we continue to do that throughout our entire lives. If we are in tune with someone, we will find that either we can finish their sentences or that we're sitting in the same way or that some of our hand movements start to model. Um, as, as therapists will sometimes very intentionally use um, their voice and try to um, mirror clients with using to, to make an attachment. So be very conscious about what the other person is doing so that they can get alongside either to bring the person down so they're distressed or just in the, in the first relationship how they ask questions and how they're listening and yeah they will consciously but not in a patronizing way um maybe mirror the client's movements or 
some of their some of what they've said back to them or would you say that's a good skill for teachers to to master being able to mirror the pupils absolutely um because the beginning of mirroring as adults is being aware of what's happening with the other and it's really important for a teacher to be able to immediately kind of pick up on the mood on her class in the morning and then you can or um, you can use that to your advantage you know if they're very heightened then knowing that what you need to be somehow acknowledging that but not joining it so wondering how you can get along getting alongside it it might be naming it it might be doing some kind of movement at the beginning of class that gets their attention without using your voice but you've got to get alongside it so you need to be conscious and then find a way to mirror back an understanding to your class um, and then you're going to have their attention. Thank you. Um, so I know that I broke you off your backstory there. So tell me, <laughs> tell me what you're doing now. So, so it's moved on from drama therapy into supervision. What are you doing now? Um, I am still working as a drama therapist, um, but I've reduced my client work down to one day a week. Um, and I'm still, and I'm making sure that I'm working with children and young people who are very distressed. And I think for me, because... I'm a supervisor with a clinical background. There are some supervisors out there that are now training who don't have a clinical background. Um, and that's fine because it's becoming a more distinct profession in itself, supervision that is. Um, but for me, that's my history. And so I maintain a kind of clinical practice of supervision and doing clinical work because it keeps my feet on the ground. It also means that if I'm supervising head from with children from a specialist school or a pure or a pro, you know, I, I still know very much what it's like to do actually do that work with a very distressed or traumatized young person. I'm, I'm not becoming detached from it. Um, so, but yes, the bulk of my work now um, is uh, talking heads and I supervise head teachers around the country. Um, before coronavirus began, I was starting to, tentatively work in the world of zoom and um, because i was uh, first pilot i'd begun which is just nearly finishing was with um, nas national association of specialist schools um but yes obviously most of my work is now on zoom although i'm starting to do a few walking supervisions with those people that i'm lucky enough to have near me let alone that they feel lucky <laughs> it's uh, really joyous to see a few people in real life outside yeah. and work it's fantastic but yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah in real life um, in real life yeah so explain to us then what is supervision because i, I feel like that could can be quite confusing because there's a lot of different ways to describe it oh uh, i know and people say to me oh, why don't you just change the name um, but because I'm used to having another career that frightens people, which is drama therapy, um, <laughs> um, and drama therapy is a protected title, uh, you could change the name, but supervision is, uh, in the way that I'm about to explain, but it is a distinct way of working, um, and changing the name kind of won't help. It's much easier to gradually let people know what supervision is than to keep trying to change the name. Um, so supervision is where you bring all of who you are at work um to your supervisor um to uh, well to talk about your practice to talk about work for the purpose of ultimately the purpose of being ethical and accountable but not in the way that schools are used to so we're not talking Ofsted we're not talking a one-to-one -one supervision in the corridor where someone's judging you and they're there's a hierarchical element. It, it's, it's none of that. Um, it's absolutely a confidential, safe space with the usual, you know, provisors around confidentiality. Um, for head teachers, it's maybe it would be different for designated safeguarding these because that would have a more clinical element. They might be bringing very specific children or safeguarding incidents. And um, so their supervision is different to how it feels to head teachers, but, but it's all the same, you see what I mean? just how it feels in a room has got a different um a different arc to it but even with the head teacher the fact remains that it, it holds that very deep ethical accountability about why they're doing what they're doing what it means to the children in their school if they're very grumpy or stressed or don't want to be there anymore or absolutely loving it 
The important thing about supervision is that it's a process of regular checking in with someone who knows you or gets to know you really, really well for the purpose of being safe for the children, young people. That's it fundamentally. But without the, any tick boxing or offsetting or outcomes needed other than checking in deeply on and processing and having time to think about how am I at work? And if I am or aren't okay, what does that mean for the school and its culture? And the so staff. In a way, <laughs> it's kind of like having a mentor or a coach, um, but for a specific thing, no? Yes? Yes, no, yes. I was taking my nod in my head then. So coaching, mentoring can feel, that can be an element of supervision at times. Uh, and people will kind of go, oh, this bit might feel like some coaching I had, or this bit might feel like mentoring. And I know a lot of people that I work with now have kind of said to me, oh, I've had coaching and mentoring in the past, or even are still having it. But often that's time limited, and it's often for a very particular purpose. But supervision should be, and is in health professions, and is in social work. It's ongoing, and there isn't an end point. You might change supervisor because you don't like them or you've outgrown them or you you know for whatever reason you agree to stop working together but supervision actually is a it sets up a scaffolding so you know that it's there every month you know that you've got somewhere safe to talk about whatever it is at work there isn't an expected outcome other than what you might take that needs resolving if you see what I mean so it's your agenda um, and you start to build up if you go regularly, which you should, um, a sense of an internal supervisor. So there's something like a version of me in this case um, is inside of you that helps you get through difficult moments because you can transport yourself to my room or <laughs> the space behind my head where we talk on Zoom. Um, and you can sometimes, that can be enough. You can check in, kind of go, actually, right, if I was in supervision, how would I work with this? what would be the things that I would know are my blind spots? What are the things that are really upsetting me here and destabilizing me so that I feel like I can't work with it? Because it's always those kinds of not knowing places that we tend to need to air in supervision. You're either not knowing or <laughs> having somewhere to celebrate because you feel very unseen and no one else re realizes or sees that you're really proud that you did something for Johnny and no one knows how involved you were, but you just need someone to hear it. And that can, that's often really powerful as well. Who do you, who do you think needs supervisions? In school? Yeah, in or, school. Um, I think supervision, well, in school, but supervision would be of anyone who works with other people, for sure. Um, but in school, um, I'm working with Leeds Beckett University at the moment to set up the National Hub for Supervision in Education. So I do absolutely believe that supervision in my daydreams, and I'm sure beyond my lifetime, um, but should be available to everyone in school. And over the years, you know, it should be, I hope that one day it will become part of teacher training, this idea that you access group supervision. Um, I've worked with groups of teaching assistants over the years, um, because actually they're often doing the one-to-one -one corridor type work with the most vulnerable young people but with the least amount of training the least amount of support and often doing a cracking job um so uh, you know absolutely they need some kind of supervisory support and that will be available through the national hub um all over the country and it's, that's just rolling out um also dsls you know the the other colleagues of theirs currently have supervision I mean it might be patchy it might not be brilliant but there is an expectation that if you work within safeguarding that you have supervision and yet it's not really it's increasing but it's not commonplace in education but the emotional weight of work in order for it to be tolerated you need to have that place where you can clear the build-up to keep on working otherwise you become too full like really quickly and I guess that is, you know, one of the issues that teachers are facing as well. I think, you know, what you've described, I think in some ways, I mean, coaching and mentoring is different for everyone and it's different in different spaces. And I know that mentoring in education sometimes 
isn't what what mentoring would be in business um, yeah. or coaching in business. But I suppose really more than anything, it gives you that time where you have to reflect instead of saying I don't have time. Um, and you're talking to someone else who's knowledgeable enough to understand what you're saying rather than sometimes when you're talking to a spouse it's like I have no idea what that is um and can kind of maybe ask the right questions to to help you reflect more is that a good roundup yeah that's a reasonable summary absolutely yeah reasonable (laughs) (laughs) oh I didn't mean it like that no it's it's so huge I didn't mean it like that (laughs) it's because I was thinking when you said I was thinking I was genuinely thinking is that reasonable and then I was like yes it is (laughs) it's a reasonable (laughs) summary but it's you know when something sounds so simple you're like yeah no that is it yeah (laughs) and spouses definitely don't want to listen to it and shouldn't because a lot of what you would take is confidential yes yes of course um so what's your proudest impact moment that you've had on a school then um in some respects it is the nature of supervision to be extremely hidden and I don't necessarily know unless someone tells me but I do get really lovely feedback um I had a lovely bit of feedback the other week I have to be careful (laughs) um but from a supervisee saying that after a period of having been off due to self-isolation, um, you know, that they had returned to school, had supervision quite early, and it had been noticed by the team around them that that person was so much lighter, and then made the connection and said, have you had supervision recently? Um, so that, those, those are the, feed, that's the kind of feedback that I, that I get, um, where, you know, that not just the person that I'm working with has noticed, but they've been able to say that other people around them have noticed, started to notice, notice an increase in confidence around, I don't know, decision, whatever it is, so individual, whatever it is, decision making or um, developing through supervision of confidence to develop a trauma-informed approach, you know that's transformed some of the ways that they're working in schools and that you know children are happier and that there are less exclusions or yeah it's a very such a private relationship that and then the feedback is so private it's quite hard to talk about but yeah I do is that is that enough yeah I think it, it it's an individual thing isn't it and um yeah I think it it changes you as a person that, that, that's the idea I think in my mind from my experience of um working with coaches and mentors as well is that you mm-hmm. you're doing it because you want to reflect on what you're doing and be better um and, it, and it's a very that's why thing. everyone I work with comes yeah and and it's a very individual yeah, like say, it's what they need to work on um, and what they recognise as, as strengths and weaknesses as well, I guess. Um, how do you... I just, sorry, is that right? Just to add in there that, you know, in, in 20 years, um, there's probably barely been a, a month or every two weeks of my life that I haven't also been a supervisee. So I go to supervision regularly and I've had three primary kind of really great supervisors in that time and a couple not so good um, for me. Uh, they might be brilliant for someone else. <laughs> um, so that, you know, and I don't go to supervision because I'm not any good at my job or I don't know what I'm doing. I go because A, I will get really full. And then B, in order to remain absolutely available and able to listen and be with whatever someone brings me, I need to have done my own processing, growing and reflecting and clearing because I also sometimes get overwhelmed and stressed. Um, and I need my own supervision and if I find that I've got a build up and I look in my diary and I go oh it's next week I'm like oh brilliant I know how long I've got to carry on for and that's exactly what my supervisees who are now in flow any of my head teachers will message me going oh I nearly changed my appointment to a week early but then I saw it was on Monday and it was okay I knew I could carry on 
Mm. Um, yeah, no, I think you're completely right. It's about clearing it all out, isn't it? And and sometimes, and obviously, um, you know, if it's confidential, you can't talk to your partner or, or somebody else. But even with other things that you can talk to them about, sometimes it's not enough. You just want absolutely to be able to get it get it out of your body yeah. and your mind. Yeah. And you don't want to bring it home and also you leave it behind with me. You know it's taken care of and you know that when you come next time, I absolutely remember pretty much everything that's that's important that's ever happened between us. So those threads of what you're like when you're on fire and flying and really achieving, but I also hold the threads of what it's like when you're, and maybe no one else knows, but when you're really struggling. And I see the whole of you and who you are at work and there's no judgment. So it's increasingly safe to bring what you're struggling with or don't know, which conversely is absolutely leads to a, a huge sense of, of growth because that's the only place we do grow from. Yes, yes. Yeah. I like that. It's about growth because I think if we're not growing, we're dead. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, how do you hope to alter education in the long term? I really hope that if something happened to me tomorrow, that there's enough that Talking Heads has done through threads and there's enough of a wheel to, I'm not saying Talking Heads started everything, sorry, I really don't mean that, but I mean just that I've contributed enough out there that might be of some part of a cog that sees because the children need it. Teachers work so hard and increasingly with a decline in services that support mental health or social services, schools are asked to be, in the, asked to be the hub of everything and, and pretty much experts in everything. And I can't see that changing in the near future, but supervision is one part of something that can really help support that particular kind of weight that they're being asked to carry. Leaving them free to then be able to teach again. Um, so, yeah, and there are and, and children are having so many different life experiences, and that of course we're right in the thick of something now. Um, that again mean that they need very attuned, compassionate, and creative teachers. You know that that is going to be that is needed right now, and they're doing it. So many of them just doing absolutely brilliantly. Um, and I know through supervision during the pandemic, when schools were open, that so many head teachers were saying to me how amazing it was to have them, some of the most vulnerable children in school in these tiny class sizes where they were outside <laughs> being creative and being playful. And they were seeing these children absolutely flourish. And they were bringing that to me in supervision going, this is amazing. This is how this is how it needs to be, you know, and especially for these children. It's like, oh, that, that for me was really exciting. It was a point of great hope back in April and May. Yeah. And then here we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are. it was an opportunity. And um, yep. I think a lot, a lot of schools were able to take that up. Um, they did, yeah. Talking about the C word, coronavirus. Um, the coronavirus. Yeah. How do you feel that your work benefits schools with the current challenges? Um, I would say, it's not 100% true, but the biggest part of the what is possible in supervision to contain that is needed at the moment um, is people's head teachers' stress levels near burnout for some, and obviously not for all. Um, but the, 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 the complexity and the weight that they are trying to carry at the moment is utterly astonishing. So session after session, um, I'm hearing about, you know, I didn't, I'm not a healthcare, I don't have any knowledge of healthcare. What if the decisions that I make mean that something goes terribly wrong? Um, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm just sat at my desk and I can't do anything. Um, what I do know is that supervision is interesting because you might have thought, who on earth would go to supervision in the middle of a pandemic? 
actually because most people I was working with before the pandemic, some people have been booking in extra sessions. I don't have any sessions that have been missed. I see four or five head teachers a day. They turn up, even, even those that sometimes used to struggle with the commitment or try to move sessions around. Um, I haven't had any of that. People have just been coming and they've been using the sessions. And it's hugely about their own regulation. Just who else can they tell? Mm. how bloody awful it is or how sad that they are that they can't comfort a member of staff actually how how that sometimes is the straw that breaks the camel's back you know somebody else because real life carries on during coronavirus doesn't it yeah, <laughs> um yeah. other stuff happens and oh yes it has been it's been quite a job uh, it is quite a job at the moment but i'm also really glad that really glad doesn't sum it up I'm really honoured to be doing that work at the moment and know that it's making a difference. I get up every morning and think, well, I'm doing something meaningful at the moment. Yeah, and, yeah. Like they really, yeah. really need it. And I can, I can see you um, getting emotional about it as well, um, which may, means you're making a real difference. Um, so if you're a teacher listening right now um, and, you know, we're, we're talking about heads having supervisions and teachers really are probably way down the pecking order for, for funding for that kind of thing. Um, what kind, what tips could you give a teacher or a teaching assistant or even a head teacher, um, or SLT, any techniques that they could apply for themselves with, that, that you use, which might just help them offload or deal with some of the, the load that they're carrying? The first might be to recognise the load that they're carrying. <laughs> the second, I'm thinking off the top of my head now, the second would be to, I would urge you to to take it outside, to go, to, to go walking um, with it, get it moving, because something that's overwhelming get, needs energy and, um, and, it, and it needs, the actual physical movement of the body helps process something. Mm -hmm. And if you um are on your own then that's a very good start to make that commitment to yourself actually to recognize that you're overloaded and to do something about it even if it's diarying half an hour three times a week to go for a walk with yourself like that would be huge if you could then add in finding a colleague obviously within the coronavirus you know whatever um limits but offers creativity um and to have shared time for one person to maybe talk for half an hour and the other person to just absolutely try to listen whilst walking um, and then swap over, but literally informally kind of time it. Maybe leave five minutes each to give the other person some uh, thought about feedback. So yeah, actually, so do 20 minutes walking, five, 10 minutes, the other person just to feedback what they think they've heard and then swap over and do that do that once a week at the moment, at least <laughs> go for a walk the other couple of times on your own. But that would be, um, that would be amazing. I think that's, that is really helpful. It's funny actually, because I feel like until you said that, I didn't realize that's why I go walking <laughs> to process things. Yeah. Sometimes I will listen to, sometimes I'm like, listen, no, no, I just need to think no. my life through. <laughs> yeah. And at some point you realise that you have got into just a pattern. At some point you realise your breathing has settled. At some point you realise you've started to hear the birds singing again. Do you know what I mean? You set out and you're like, oh, and your brain's racing and your heart might be racing and you might even be thinking, I don't want to do this and whatever. And you're so in your own head, you can't see, hear, smell anything. But if you go for, it needs to be just over half an hour, I think. At that point, the body starts to regulate. And if you do nothing else, that is, and if you if you consciously do that, that's I think the conscious bit's important because you really get more benefit. But yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I like that. I think they're really good ideas that people could try. So thank you. Um, I'm going to write them down. It's good being put on the spot, yeah. isn't it? I write them down. <laughs> I had to make myself redundant. Absolutely. No, but uh, yeah, but that, those I do say those things to my supervisor, and also I'm doing them for myself. You know. Working at the moment is ext 
extraordinarily tough. On Saturday, when I finished work on, actually finished work Thursday last week, I couldn't actually string a sentence together. I, I went out for a walk with a friend. She was just like, what's wrong with you? But I was so exhausted. Yeah. Um, I'm back on it today, but I've had to do walking. I've done a bit of running. I've done eating. I've done meditating, everything to try to get me regulated so that I'm ready again for today because actually it's really tough at the minute. Yeah, and you, and you need to be ready, don't you? I mean, I um, I do some coaching and mentoring of um, some of my colleagues. And um, last week, one of the days I was supposed to do it was not a good day. And I was like, listen, I'm not going to be very good for you today. So let's reschedule because I need, I know that I need to be in a certain place if anyone's going to kind of receive, I suppose, um, yeah. just by you making sure that, that you're putting them at the centre as well. Um, Okay, so if you could wave a magic wand, how would you solve the life-work balance problem? Favourite question. Favourite question. Um, <laughs> one of the things that, this is like the short, a short-term answer, but supervision actually does help with that um, because it's a place where you really touch into... What we what we tend to do when we're really stressed is to overdo stuff, but not be very effective. Mm. So, although sometimes so supervision can sometimes be the first thing that you think, oh, I don't need that, which is not true. But you tend to think it when you are at your most stressed because it feels quite overwhelming to actually have somewhere safe to take it. But if you go, then the amount of clearing it does allows you to go back to work and be really effective because you've just deeply cleared down and you might have had a look at what is going on with my work-life balance here that definitely and those are conversations again having a lot of at the minute um uh, and then overall you know i did have real hope in may that there might be that real shift that we've been and I, I still hope it that we have been so creative in our responses in education and seen that some things didn't work and that some things do and that actually generally speaking I suspect that there will be a movement towards the crucial need for a work-life balance in education um, at some point as we move the, through this I think that things will change irrevocably um, and that the need for the work-life balance will has become so clear that it, I hope it will go nowhere. Um, it was possible for it's possible to, you know, have shorter teaching days. It's possible for people to take time off. It's possible to deliver work on Zoom. Lots of things are possible. A change is possible. We just have to really push back for it up to the systems that are currently very very stressed and doing a lot of pushing down and uh, carry on like we're not in the middle of a pandemic and forget everything that happened last time that you knew but we haven't forgotten people haven't forgotten mm. we just need to come out of this bit which is grim <laughs> yeah um so on that note then where do you think education is going in the next 10 years think or hope I hope that there was something quite structural will happen that connects to the work-life balance um, in terms of hours spent in school and and I really hope that the pandemic makes it so startlingly clear that creativity is the thread of everything. Even if you're teaching maths, it can be fun done outside. And you know, all those things that Corona taught us, did teach us uh, back in the last lockdown about what was possible and how well children have responded to, not every child, obviously, but that mix up in having more time outside because you know, on a very literal level of during coronavirus, that's been healthier, but actually that's had a brilliant impact on children. How smaller classes sizes have had a brilliant impact on children. Um, all of those kinds of things, those would be my hope for a, a change going forward. Um, 
But actually what I'll do is continue to deeply support head teachers in um, voicing the changes that they think uh, need to happen because those ones that I'm supervising, they're really finding their voice. <laughs> so I have great hope that the 50 odd teachers that we're working, head teachers we're working with will um, start their own revolution. <laughs> yeah yeah um i'll okay. just be in the background <laughs> so you, you'll just be um what's the word the puppet master <laughs> <laughs> no, i'll just be i'll just be their um cheerleader in the background definitely um who was your favorite teacher at school and why um my probably not surprising my drama teacher <laughs> who was the um, presenter of um, Andy Pandy and the Wooden Tops, Vera McKechnie, uh, Vera Morley. Um, she was, yeah, she was wonderful. I loved, I loved that bit at school. It kept me sane. Uh, school was kind of tricky. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I often wonder who my, how I would say my favourite teacher is because I don't know if I would be able to think of it but my probably my drama teacher as well um yeah. totally not approachable, safety. But I liked the I liked the lesson <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> and um, um, lastly what did you want to be when you grew up I wanted to be a mum and an actor that's what I wanted for when I was growing up but uh the actor and mum thing I yeah like I said earlier on they didn't actually go together did they and I am a mum of two fantastically brilliantly funny challenging articulate creative children they are awesome <laughs> well that's that's lovely um <laughs> I was just thinking when you said it originally I think that's probably why I didn't want to go down the whole acting route either because I wanted a family and I wanted stability and I was like, but this is not going to achieve that. Um, and I no, suppose until definitely I, not. That, I never realised that was why. Um, but yeah, so in the end, I, I also think anything to do with teaching is acting anyway. Oh, absolutely. Well, we all get into different roles, uh, yeah. definitely. But you've got to go into a role develop a persona to be able to go and do that something else and yeah. i've never done it <laughs> <laughs> well but i've got a therapist role <laughs> yeah yeah thank you so thank much you. for um, everything um some really great things for people to think about there um and i do hope i, I know that um you know it is different to coaching and mentoring but just just talking you i can talking to you I can see how helpful that is especially for leaders you just need to be able to offload and move forward and um you know if there's if there's head teachers out there that, that are not currently getting that then it's definitely something to consider to think you know how how can I move forward um because I know um so I work with a coach and at first I was like oh no I mean I didn't want to cancel them but now I look forward to them thinking well, it's, okay. it's good that I'm feeling this way because I'm going to get the most out of the session. Yeah, it's hard though, isn't it, sometimes tolerating that that feeling because it's exposing. Um, and the more stressed we are, the less we are inclined to want to be exposed because we want to shut down and just keep control of everything. Um, so, yes, I, I know that for myself. <laughs> I also think if you find the right person and you get to a point where maybe you don't care and, and the, the whole process of it is learning about yourself and being yeah. open to not self-criticism but self-reflection self-reflection and, yeah and also maybe a bit of self-forgiveness oh go, my goodness oh. do you think <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely and, and moving forward on it so I think the the more you do it the the less bothered you are because you realize do you know what this is normal and yeah yeah and actually I'm just going to use it as a learning process and everyone knows that it's not it's not for me to be criticised, it's just for me to move forward and be better. And I suppose that's where it, it's about yeah. being great for the rough with the smooth as well. And that's something for head teachers that um, that demand on them to be kind of almost, almost all knowing and not vulnerable. Um, 
by everybody, the community, the staff, the children, the Ofsted, like everyone wants you to be okay. And you can't do what you just described with another colleague or someone that you work with. It Mm -hmm. needs to be, I'm passionate about it, it needs to be external because then you can really do what you just said. Because it's safe, you're never going to bump into me in a meeting or over the photocopier. Yeah. And have to pretend that we didn't have the conversation we had last week because you're in a different role yeah yeah no I know what you mean I think I think you're completely right um but it's it's knowing the power of just that offloading as well um and I can just sort I can see how how it could be so powerful and important but if you don't know you also don't know absolutely absolutely Yeah. yeah yeah But anyway, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I really hope that um, if if nothing else, that people can start to sort of take a walk to start processing some of these things that they're, they're going through and, and loads that they're carrying, because I do think that's a really good, really good first step. Um, and even yeah. if they're doing that alone. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed it. It's a lovely start to my day. Thank you very much. okay thank you for listening to recap the three actions that lisa gave were to recognize the load that you are carrying go walking to process your thoughts and have shared time with a colleague where you can take it in turns to talk and listen i remember walking a lot on my own when leading up to and going through ivf i didn't know why i was doing it but it seemed to help Often now, when I have a lot on my shoulders, I like to get out of the house and have quiet space to think about everything. So make time this week to walk, even if it's in the rain. Choose a moment when you wouldn't be doing very effective work anyway, a moment when you would be distracted. And then you won't be losing, but actually gaining, as it will help you feel more focused when you do get out of that schoolwork. Use the time to recognise the weight on your shoulders. Accept it, and remember that you're just human. And next week, pair up with a colleague and talk through the challenges and successes at work confidentially. Listen to each other and then repeat it back. And if any of these work well, make them stick. You'll find everything that Lisa and I talked about in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter at Claire underscore Riley underscore TP on Instagram, The Teachers Podcast, on Facebook, The Teachers Podcast, or also on Facebook. Join me in The Teachers Podcast community. I really appreciate reviews of the podcast. See you next week. Thank you for listening. The Teachers Podcast is in association with Classroom Secrets, a provider of high quality and affordable teaching resources that children love and teachers trust. To find out more, visit classroomsecrets.co.uk.